and its ever-increasing popularity. It wouldn't take long before, for better or worse, the Australasian invasion of London coffee had begun. Looking to the past. For a great many years prior to Flat White opening its doors in 2005, the terms London and coffee were rarely uttered together without a degree of eye-rolling and usually the bemused retort, I think they, I thought they only drank milky tea and warm beer. While key cultural icons those drinks may very well be, they don't paint the entire picture. In the 17th century in London, uh, had something like a staggering 2,000 coffee shops, the highest concentration in the world at the time. Some went on to become operations we know well today, such as the insurance and banking organisation Lloyds of London, originally a coffee shop in the square mile. For one reason or another, or more accurately for a great many reasons, the abundance of London coffee shops withered and for the most part died out. Then in the late 1970s, Anita Leroy founded uh, Monmouth Coffee Company, roasting from their basement in the Monmouth uh, Street location at Seven Dials. Monmouth continues today, uh, still with Anita at the helm, but with a much larger roasting premises in Maltby Street. Several re retail locations and a vast network of wholesale customers and a near cult-like following amongst London's coffee-drinking public. For many years, Monmouth were essentially the only choice for higher-end specialty coffee in London. In the wake of the success of Flat White, an independent, quality-focused operation, the coffee drinkers of London began to see a change. Small operations took on a similar approach and began to pop up here and there. Some just cafes, some also roasting for themselves. Clemson and Sons in the East End underwent a rebranding and a store redesign, bringing coffee to the fore and establishing an environment in which staff were able to focus more closely on the quality of their drinks and faster service. Taste of Bitter Love popped up on Hackney Road, Lila's shop on Arnold Circus, Taylor Street Baristas set up in New Street, and New Espresso began roasting and retail operations on Hanbury Street. I should mention that this Hanbury Street location I once went and visited when it was still a newspaper, looked around and declared, there's no way a coffee shop will work here. <laughs> Four years later, they're doing extremely well. Uh, Flat White also opened its second location, Milk Bar, just a few blocks from their first. A quiet, unassuming, and relatively unknown customer of mine at the time, named Gwilym Davies, began making a few coffees off an unnamed coffee car outdoors at a Sunday flower market. Then, in 2008, James Hoffman, Annette Malvere, and Stephen Morrissey opened Square Mile Coffee Roasters under a railway arch in Bethnal Green and started sourcing, roasting, and wholesaling coffee with a particular attention to the London's East End. Within the space of a year to 18 months, London had the foundations of a coffee scene. Concurrent to these retail and commercial endeavours, another very surprising London coffee phenomenon was taking place. In 2007, much to the surprise and dismay of a great many people, a bright young upstart from Britain flew to Tokyo to make a few drinks and came home with the World Barista Championship trophy. In 2008, while working in London and calling the city home, an Irish fellow went off to Copenhagen and managed to do the same. Unimaginable as it might have been, 2009 saw a third consecutive, albeit quite, not quite as young, London-based chap head off to Atlanta, <laughs> Georgia, only to return the newly crowned World Barista Champion. 
Suddenly there was an increasing validity and interest being given to the craft of sourcing, roasting, retailing and brewing specialty coffee. Customers were gradually starting to expect more of their cafes. Cafes in turn, they felt the need to constantly improve, to tighten their quality control, to upgrade their machinery and to invest more in training and support of the staff responsible for the beverage that until recently had been thought so little of. A few short years earlier, it was possible to count the number of barely adequate coffee shops in London on one hand, and probably still have ample digits remaining to clasp a mug of tea. Suddenly, and particularly in the East End, it was difficult to decide which coffee shop to head to of a morning. Such was the range of choice, all within a reasonable proximity. Then a year away, Early 2009 presented me with an opportunity too good to turn down. A chance to head up retail operations and development at Intelligentsia's flagship store in Los Angeles. This meant packing and relocating again and spending nearly a year away from London and everything that was happening there. In December 2009, at the completion of my contract, I was back in London uh, to not only find a scene, but a coffee community in full swing. Square Mile Coffee Roasters had been holding regular taste-of events, inviting large groups of baristas, roasters, cafe owners, and coffee devotees from all organisations and backgrounds to evenings of espresso from particular countries or cities. The establishment of the Ultimate Barista Fighter League saw throngs of onlookers watch costume competitors throw down blindfolded latte art with the aid of the sighted navigator answer coffee trivia questions in a boozy pub quiz shootout and pour eight ounce paper cup latte out with shivering hands outdoors in the rain at night. <laughs> the London heat of the UK Barista Championships was held in East London, an open arts event and event space and attracted not only an unprecedented number of entrants but a great many spectators. Some intent on checking out the action and others merely wandering, if on, uh, wandering in off the street find out why a crowd of onlookers were cheering at somebody pouring a cappuccino. Despite following what I could of London's retail development online, it was with surprise and delight that I came back to an explosion of small, independent, quality-focused coffee, coffee operations open and established. And again, they were busy. Fernandez and Wells had jumped to three locations. Caffeine was already a fixture in Fitzrovia, and Lantana was deemed Time Out's Cafe of the Year. Gwill and Davies had opened a concession within a clothes store, serving one type of coffee and one type of milk from a Victoria Arduino lever machine. Fears that I'd held over uh, an overrepresentation of Australians and New Zealanders within the London coffee community and the inherent limitations in terms of variety and difference were not completely assuaged. The situation had played out differently to what I had expected. Instead of independent operators wearing their Australianness boldly and proudly, the commercial chains had picked it up instead. February 2010 saw the Antipodean drink, the flat white, make it onto nearly every high street chain menu. Costa Coffee were said to have spent over a million pounds on training and implementation for this single drink onto its menu. Our London. Specialty coffee in London. It's not perfect, of course. There are still far, far too many 15-second extractions and filthy machines, and soap sud like cappuccinos going out. There are still far too many customers who ask for just a coffee 
and equally far too many staff who reply with a grunt. What we do have in our favour though is essentially a clean slate. Coffee the way that we as professionals drink it, serve it and love it is still a very new thing in London and completely unknown to a great many customers. The strike rate for epiphany moments where a barista pours some really great art or chats confidently and assuredly about a customer's options is extremely high. We're in a great position to take our niche of the industry into what we hope it to be. By elevating our standards, drink quality and customer service without nearly as much of the baggage or legacy or expectations of 16 ounce drinks, dark roasts or free Wi-Fi in every shop. Despite the age and history of the culturally diversity of London, the, prep, uh, the preparation and service of excellent coffee is in its absolute infancy. And as London baristas, roasters, retailers, and most importantly, coffee lovers, we have an amazingly bright, open, and promising future ahead of us. Bear with me one second. That's nice, right? Optimistic, full of hope. Well, this brings me to my final section. The problem. There's a big problem with the story that I've just presented to you. I wrote it in 2010. The problem is not that I'm recycling material. The problem is that in the two years since compiling this piece, it's my opinion that our once terrific development, our inertia and our forward momentum has slowed to a painful, unfortunate crawl. From a specialty coffee scene on a, uh, once on a spectacular rate of development and a cohesive sense of community, what we seem to have today instead is the unrelenting opening of carbon coffee, uh, carbon copy coffee shops. The same suppliers, the same machinery, the same prices and the same questionable quality. As independent operators, we used to laugh at the chains with their bland uniformity and their lack of innovation. Well, guess what? In 2012, we are the chains. Instead of continuing our trajectory towards creating conscientious, questioning and self-critical baristas, roasters and business owners, endeavouring to hone their craft or to share their love of coffee, we seem to be heading towards an industry comprised of keyboard and iPhone warriors, measuring their success and their worth through retweets and follower stats. We appear to be so caught up in a frenzy of both self and mutual congratulation that we've lost great deals of the constructive, critical introspection. Most importantly, however, it's my opinion that us as baristas, as roasters and as business owners we're lacking the ability and the confidence to be able to give, to perceive, uh, to receive, to process and to act on honest feedback. As I'm sure is obvious, this worries me. But more importantly than that, this bores me. It's critical that we, as supposed industry professionals, get to this point where we're comfortable to push ourselves, to push our colleagues and to push our staff and to push our competitors. We need debate and we need differences of opinion. Most importantly, we need thicker skins. We absolutely need to bring our small but influential part of this giant industry into an age of professional maturity. 
an age where we feel comfortable providing critical feedback, whether positive or negative, and an age where we can take that feedback and use it to improve our sourcing, our roasting, our brewing, and our service. I understand that it's not easy, and that at times the truth is as hard to deliver as it is to hear. But as this niche of our industry matures, so must we. It's my opinion that we need to start moving forward again. It's my opinion that we need to grow up. Thank you.
Can I just say that that's quite interesting because that's from two non-business owners to a business owner and I think that also has a massive impact when you know you work within a business and it's not necessarily owned by the business. I think you you have to act in a very different way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think well I think in my situation um, I, I don't know that people differentiate too much. Um, you know, I'm involved so heavily in every aspect of, of what we do as an organisation um, that, uh, you know, I, I would imagine that only like one or two people in this room or even watching this would have any idea who the owners of Sain Ali were uh, or that entire organisation. Um, so I, I, I think I, that's I, fair, because like, when I think of Sain Ali, I think of you. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, and I think. Um, like, in fairness, like, when it comes, like, from my own perspective, uh, like, it's very easy to get good feedback. Like, sometimes you do a good job or a really good job, people will say, that's great, it's wonderful, that's great. To the extent that people will go, this is rubbish, this is really hard, you talk, how's that? Great, wonderful, brilliant, love it, yeah, thanks very much, and then they'll just, they won't say anything. And to get, like, so will you, what sort of negative feedback do you get, and how would you like to get negative feedback? Um, the majority of negative feedback that we would get uh, would be your espresso is too bright, uh, and uh, you know I think we need to take the onus of responsibility of saying, well, we're competent professionals. We're making informed decisions on how we source coffee and how we roast coffee, and we're QCing the hell out of it. And at that point, if we're happy with it, if we believe it's good, then we're not going to change anything. Um, uh, I, I gave a similar talk on uh, Thursday at the UK Coffee Leaders Summit and the idea was raised that, uh, or somebody misinterpreted that I was talking about consumer feedback, uh, and I'm not. I'm, I'm talking about uh, from industry professional to industry professional. Um, they raised the idea that we need to be pitching the ideas to consumers, seeing what they want and then distilling that into whatever it be, our design or our coffee program. And for the record, that is absolutely not the way to move forward, um, as I'm sure you'll agree. Uh, I'm sure, you know, there weren't people knocking on your door saying, I know the lobby of this place, uh, uh, I think you should absolutely open the coffee bar there. Um, I'm guessing this is more of an idea that came. Yeah, feedback from industry professionals, you know, I think I think it's, it's about honesty and it's about transparency. Um, when I log onto Twitter in the morning and I open it up and I see, oh my God, like, it's, according to Twitter, there is no bad coffee in the world. According to Twitter, every single cup that every person I follow has had is more mind-blowing than the last cup. <laughs> and this is, this just can't be true. It can't be true. Well, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that, like, from my own perspective, is that if I go somewhere, it's not good, I'm just not going to come back. Yeah, I, I know that of you, so I, I can read into uh, Yeah. And if you don't mention it, then... Yeah, that omission to yeah. me is a strong point, and I think that... Um, I think, I mean, is, is Twitter the place to give honest appraisal of somebody's business, though? I mean, I, I, I think the purpose of feedback is super useful. And it, can be, it can be very powerful. And I've had some very, very useful 
feedback that wasn't very nice delivered to me in a private form that I've acted on and dealt with, and, yeah. you know, and that's important, but I just, I kind of don't get the whole need to air it to the world on Twitter as an opinion. I, I'm not saying that it needs to be the only forum by which we do things. Uh, I think what I'm basically contending is that uh, instead of the amount of time that people seem to spend putting into uh, talking about how fantastic absolutely everything is on Twitter could be much better spent actually improving what they do. It dilutes your message as well, because you think everything's great. Then yeah. Um, yeah, no perspective. Here it isn't. <laughs> sure. I think people will probably take that when, when they read your, your tweet or whatever the way it is. Um, question from the audience? Uh, Dale. So this, um, away from feedback, it's more about the, um, the London scene and how it relates to other scenes. You've travelled a lot more than I have. I'd, I'd, I'd also really like Colin's opinion of kind of Dublin and, and Ireland. Um, what if, uh, looking around elsewhere, uh, Australia, the States, maybe Norway, um, have you seen um, a similar thing, a similar kind of thing settling out into nothing, or have, have you seen lessons there that we should learn from those other places? Uh, I don't know that I've spent enough time in, uh, in one place, apart from London, to probably get enough of a, um, an impression uh, to that extent. I mean, Time in Los Angeles was obviously uh, working on something that was supposed to be as innovative and progressive as it could possibly be. Um, so, you know, that, that 12 months is probably uh, not ideal uh, as a, a point of reference there. Um, I, I can't really comment too much because, you know, there's one kind of real coffee community that I'm involved in and based in. Um, but I think. You know, I, I think back to, uh, you know, say 2006, 2007, um, when there was a lot of energy in London, um, there was a lot of great things happening, and uh, there were a lot of heated debates, and there were a lot of very um, enthusiastic and often reasonably drunken discussions of everything to do with coffee, and they would go for hours, and. Um, I think what came out of a lot of that was really interesting. Um, I don't see the byproduct of those sort of debates in the London coffee market at the moment. Every coffee shop that opens, you can walk into and, and give a percentage breakdown of the influence of, of where everything's come from. You know, if I'd see another coffee shop open with the blue Inca cups, you know, <laughs> I, it's just like, it's just really frustrating. It's annoying. Uh, there has to be there has to be more ideas to explore, um, and you know I'm really keen to see people take up that charge and, and leave with that. Well, you know, talking about um, I've been in London the last few days, so I've been around a little bit. So based on what you're saying, like there's been a stop. Do you think it's related to the lack of interest, the lack of talent, the lack of method? Um, I see a lot of investors are coming. Actually, I see that uh, I travel a lot around the world. And I can tell you that Ireland and UK are the two markets probably that are moving faster than any other market worldwide. And definitely there's a lot of real estate investors that are investing in coffee. So. 
that please the barista community, we're cool, we're getting a lot of interest, so that's enough? Or what, what do you think is missing? Uh, I, I think um, I, I think there's a lot of confidence missing in baristas uh, in London. Um, you know, I, I, I don't remember the last time I went into a coffee shop in London uh, and asked the barista on bar, you know, what's good? Like, what, what are you excited about? What, what do you really want to share with me in terms of coffee? And, uh, you know, you get a shrug and it's like, well, I've got this on. It's all right. <laughs> it's I'm like, come on, you, like, according to your tweets this morning, like, your mind was blown 13 times. And it's like, like, you know, so this, I think it's a lack of enthusiasm. I think it's a lack of, um, a, a lack of confidence as well. Um, and I do think uh, uh, quite a bit of the community kind of um, uh, outside of the coffee bar environment that, that we used to have uh, is maybe not as prevalent as it has been before. Um, I don't really see this as being a, a, um, a slowing down in terms of investment uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I think there's more and more and more money getting poured into the London coffee, uh, or the London specialty coffee market. Um, my concern with that is, you know, it's not investors who are bringing ideas investors are not supposed to bring ideas, it's supposed to be us with the ideas, um, and yeah, I'm not seeing a lot of them. It's the, the, the finance that, that's coming into the market though, I think it's, even from where we are, it, it's kind of quite apparent. Um, how much of uh, an influence on, on coffee shops and kind of the balance between innovation and investment, like you know, how, how does that work? Like, is it possible for small, independent, kind of low-budget coffee shops to innovate? Absolutely. Um, thanks for your question. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we, I say we, I got asked uh, basically a very similar question, um, phrased slightly differently, uh, on Thursday. Um, where somebody put their hand up and said, you know, it's very easy for you, big organisation, you can do all the innovation that you want. Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny to look back over um, all the planning and stuff that I did on Penny University, which arguably was one of probably the most innovative coffee bars that London's had. Um, and, you know, grand total spend was like six grand, you know, like a pittance. Um, we built it in a couple of weeks, uh, designed it in a few hours and painted it in 24. Uh, I don't think innovation is, is a product of money. Um, Innovation is a product of ideas. Uh, I think that comes back to the confidence then as well, doesn't it? Because then, um, I suppose when people open shops, they feel like they have to do this, or else everybody will laugh at them, I suppose. Yeah, or, or they'll fail financially. Exactly. Um, yeah, but... Uh, or both. <laughs> or both, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I think, there's, I think confidence is, is a big factor. So uh, let's say the coffee industry perhaps lacks um, a credible, independent um, critic or reviewer. So in this case, um, probably uh, vocal members of the coffee industry have become the de facto critics of their own industry, um, which 
perhaps isn't a healthy thing. But, it's um, very unhealthy. Okay. So what I'm thinking is now, you know, we have this, you have this scenario where there's lots of progress and lots of learning and stuff, and kind of touching back on what Ellie was talking about earlier, learning is safety development feeds back. However, if you have, if your feedback is always positive, you, the, you know, the true innovations and the true things which might keep pushing forward are being lost in a sea of, uh, you know, positivity. Um, and I'm not sure if that's a question or a statement, but there you go. I think it's true. I think it was a statement, but uh, I think it was a good statement. I, and I, I agree. You know, if no one ever pulls you up and says, your coffee, all of it, is roasted too dark, then why would you ever look at your roast profiles again? Yeah. I think like, something that's really important is that, like, it, let's say, for instance, you start roasting here, I start roasting there. You walk up to me and say, Colin, your coffee's too dark. It should be, I think a lot of people in this industry, I find, need to be able to go, cool, thanks for your feedback, but I like it this way. And Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's okay to want to do things differently. Everybody has a completely different context. Um, and um, I think sometimes with the gray areas emerges, but there are, let's say, certain people that feel like they should be the ones to decide what's right and what's wrong to a certain extent as well. I, yeah, I, look, I do agree um, for the most part. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I, I have total respect for somebody to come back to me and say, you know, if I, if I, I come over to your roasting operation over there and, you know, it's, uh, you've like gone near first crack and I tell you it's too dark. And um, I'm totally fine for somebody to say, well, you know, this is how we like it and this is part of what we do and this is, um, this is, this is the whole concept of what we do. Because, I mean, we get, uh, you know, th th there are people who think we roast too light. Uh, and that's very deliberate that we do that. Um, but I think being able to come back and say yeah. confidently that no, this is how we like it. Because it comes out as whether it's intended or not. It so is. This random thing that's happening. Yeah, we meant that. We meant it to be random. Yeah. yeah. But, then, but then, actually, on the flip side of that is the point that, you know, there is coffee that is roasted too dark. Yeah. And that's not subjective. Quality's not, like, in that regard, is not subjective. There are people that are roasting the shit out of their coffee, and they shouldn't be. And, uh... Okay, and well, if you're saying that. There are companies <laughs> that definitely, uh, there are companies that definitely roast their coffee too dark. They serve really large cups of it, okay? And the, the flavour of that roast coffee comes through that big mountain of milk, and... And people are buying it in bucket loads. Yeah, people are buying loads. Absolutely, but loads and loads of money, and that's that's. We're not talking about them because we're we're talking about the, the pointy part of this industry and the small niche of the industry that, in very very subtle and gentle ways, influences that mass commercial appeal. I mean, none of us would be sitting in this room uh, if you know we were as high up in our small organisations as we could be in those big organisations. We'd be. So I think like, that's an important point to make. Like, you know, that's, that's the thing. I'm not talking about walking into Starbucks. you look at coffee businesses and you realise that they're actually in a different business. What they do is not what I do. And Absolutely. I think that's really, really important to, to point out. Sorry to have really enjoyed your presentation, especially the last uh, closing paragraphs. Um, but should we only be talking about the pointy end of this industry? And 
what in your experience where you worked in Los Angeles and you've worked in London, are we really only talking about a capital city phenomenon that is not necessarily relevant to Manchester or Glasgow or Kilkenny or how should, how should that influence what we do if we're in a provincial town or city, if it's not Paris, but it's Strasbourg or yeah. somewhere else? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, but, you know, I don't see the pointy end of the industry being regionally defined by any stretch. Um, but reality, in reality, it is. Well, I mean, there are like little operations in Leeds doing yeah. really great stuff and uh, some people, you know, I think it starts in these cities because that's where the money is, uh, and that, that kind of makes sense. But you know, when I talk about um, an, the niche of an industry, uh, it's the niche of an industry in terms of people who are genuinely interested in producing coffee of a very high standard or service of a very high standard. And I don't, I mean, I'm not going to stand here and lie and say that I pretend that commercial chains are doing that. That's not, that's not their business. That's not how it works for them. And that's fine, you know, that's that's their business. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I have enough on my plate working on the really minor details of what goes on in our operations for me to worry too much about what those guys are doing. Uh, it's, and it just actually doesn't interest me. But uh, on the regional thing, I, I don't think it's regionally I don't think specialty needs to be regionally defined. Firstly, thank you very much, Tim. That was brilliant and thoroughly enjoyed it. And I agree with you completely. I'm bored of the uh, what's happening in London at the moment. It's stalled. And I, I have, coming back to the regional thing, I think um, it could be the regions that then kickstart London again because it's not happening in London. Nothing interesting, coffee-wise, has happened in London since the Penny University. Um, like, I think, like, I'd like to, like, I know I've pretty said too much at this stage, but, like, I think that there is also something you have to recognise in that this, like, what you guys, like, you two, especially, like, more than most people, have been central to that, to the drive of specialty coffee in London, like, as well as, like, John, Jess, and James, and they're that central core people. And you have to recognise, I think, that there is a kind of, definitely um, like a template that seems to be applied everywhere, but you have to recognise that there's definitely an element of success in that. You guys have done a really good job, that London has become a place where you can get really good coffee, more than you could ever could before, and if there's, there's definitely a, a level that you get to. I agree, it's slowed, but um, it's, it's probably, uh, I suppose this is what you're talking about, is that it's time to go again now, you know, but I think there's definitely something you all have to be very proud of there. Not, not really, because it's like the perfect cup doesn't exist because we're constantly chasing. We're constantly chasing, and what we, what we, what's happened has been amazing. But we can't just stand. What we're doing is standing around, copying, um, finding investors and copying, and slapping ourselves on the back and saying, "How good are we? This is great, isn't it?" We're not careful. We're going to stay there, and it will be five years down the line, and nothing will have happened. But thank God for places like Liverpool, Steve Manchester, Dublin, <laughs> Bristol, Bath. Well, like, like, <laughs> like a good cup of coffee tastes like a good cup of coffee everywhere. Right, so it doesn't have to be a regional thing. Uh, sorry, guys. I will um, go away from this argument with 
this is stagnating. I have a question. Do you? Um, I don't know if you're aware that, for example, Berlin is on in, on on a way to copy London. Because I'm very aware. You're very aware. They're about. <laughs> they call themselves third wave coffee shops, and I think they're. It's kind of booming in the last two years. Where you say the last two years, London has been staying at the same hot spot. Would you say Berlin needs to grow up using your words because they're copying London, or do you think that's a good way that they're starting to copy London? Uh, I haven't been back for maybe seven or eight months, maybe a little bit more, to Berlin. Um, but uh, it's, I, I think Berlin's a little different, um, and I think Berlin potentially right now is the clean slate that London was in 2010. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity. I think it would be disappointing to see uh, the same 24 months that London has had perpetuate itself in Berlin also. Um, but from what I'm aware of uh, that's happening now, um, I think I think the, people, the key players in Berlin right now um, uh, have maybe a broader global perspective uh, of coffee and what's interesting than uh, people in London over the last two years have had. I think I think people in London have tended to look very introspectively and have said, you know, we've produced the last three World Brewers of Champions and we've got this and, you know, um, this roaster is the greatest and that's all we need to do. Um, there's not very, very, very few people roasting really well in Berlin right now, and I think it would be really exciting to see um, some really small roasteries open up and, and not try and replicate what other cities have done, but maybe take influence from a bunch of them. Um, that, that, that would be how I would like to see things happen in Berlin. Uh, I have no idea how it will play out. I obviously, obviously, hitting on what Christina said as well. Surely there's a there's a time and an opportunity for any city, as we've talked about, stateside, obviously European side. London has obviously maybe hit that peak. I mean, if uh, I mean, Gotham's always talked about becoming a little bit bored or stale or anything else, and you're obviously having that um, kind of same reaction. Berlin might be the next chance. You know, I think uh, in certain cities in Scandinavia and everything else, and uh, they've they've had opportunities as well. So it might be the, the, the time that we've, we've maybe just hit that peak. I mean, uh, anytime I've been into London, you know, the coffee shops that do open, you kind of go into, and as you say, I mean, there's some that do blow you away. There does come that point where it's, what is the next step? Yeah, I, I think that might very well be, well, I think that's possible. And if that is the case, then I think that's really sad um, because we have a huge population. Uh, I think the, Availability of really interesting things in terms of food and really accessible things in terms of food has probably never been better in London right now. Uh, we have very, very small operators coming up and opening really amazing little wine bars that uh, carry really small uh, selections of wines from really interesting and dedicated producers. We have uh, microbreweries popping up all over the place that are doing their own little style and, and some fantastic um, production. We have cheesemakers that are just doing things that, that haven't really been as focused or as accessible in London before. So I feel like London has this really great swell around all things to do with food and, and things that are handcrafted and things that are 
quality focused and quality driven. So the fact that if us as a coffee industry aren't a part of that, or we're stalled to a point where we're not developing at the same rate, I think that's really sad, and I think that's quite scary. Uh, I want to keep living in London because I love it, uh, and uh, I want to be a part of a, a community and an industry and a niche of an industry that's really moving forward. So if that is the case, I think we need to look at it pretty seriously. I think we'll continue this conversation probably on Twitter. Ladies and gentlemen,